What is your rechoice word? Re-envision. Reconnect. Redefine. My rechoice words are review, readjust, and repeat. It's season five of Rechoice. Real talk about moments our guests chose differently. You can read more at rechoicepod.com. But now it's time for the show. What a great day. Imagine that. We have today one of my favorite people and friends, Mr. Jock Ambrose. He is an accomplished coach and teacher. And when I hear those roles as nouns, when I think of you, Jock, I think of those words as verbs. You coach, you teach, and even the word friend as a verb as you choose to befriend even the stranger in your day-to-day interactions. So much of your teaching is showing, not telling. He describes himself as uh, stuck like a dope with a thing called hope (laughs) and that he cannot get it out of his heart. As we look towards 2024, I hope you're reminded not about your New Year's resolution, but how you approach and live all of your days. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Jock Ambrose. Hey, Jock. (laughs) Thank you. Hey, thank you. Thanks for joining us here. On a Saturday with my dog sitting next to you and enjoying all the all the pets there. Yeah. Tell me a good thing. What's a good thing for you right now at this moment? At this point in time in my life, I'm able to uh, follow six grandchildren. <laughs> um, and yeah. the youngest one is in middle school. We've gotten four of them through the high school years and into those things. A couple of them are doing college. A couple of them are doing the work thing. Um, And then uh, our last two are in high school and and middle school. And I just have the joy of being able to see them do things that they wish to try to do, do things that help them learn. We, my wife and myself, certainly get, uh, uh, get that real joy in chasing grandkids, <laughs> but uh, in in seeing that positive growth in those sorts of things. That's a great thing, man. Yeah. Someday, yeah. someday right? Someday for me, maybe. So <laughs> I love it. Okay. You well, you know, I guess mine, at the time of this recording, I, I just watched the Lions lose in overtime. So they're, they're now one and one, and I'm still hopeful they'll be doing pretty well when this episode launches. They look tough, right? Yeah. Yeah, they look good. They look like they have all the parts to be able to put things together. But, uh, you know, when you get to that level, that professional level, there is such a small difference between the very best and the the people that end up being at the bottom that year. Um, and so for us Lions fans, yep. it's been a long, long time of looking and saying, God, we've got, how do we got the best running back in, in, you know, football 20 years ago and, yes. and uh, you know, those sorts of things and have it not come together. Well, the bottom line is it is so, so close, the differences between the team that ends up with more points or not. Um, and I think in, in most levels, you said that I coach and I certainly do. I've done that for you know, uh, a good 50 years um, in my sport. And the differences at any level are are minuscule. Mm-hmm. And so if you can come up with 
something that becomes an advantage for you. I think I'm a psychologist as much as <laughs> yeah, anything sure. else, you yeah. know, as a coach and, and hopefully as a teacher also. And so if you can have that little bit of a positive uh, mm -hmm. gap, yeah. um, you know, you get a little bit of a, uh, I'm, I'm fumbling for the word right now. That's a good football word, by the way. Yeah, 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 there you go. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the pause. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. That oomph, that yeah. that hey, can't always control what's happening. Whether right. whether the rep, what the ref does, what who is injured, which we just saw three or four people injured in one game. Yep. And I guess the the good thing is, I mean, as I get older, I wonder about: Am I really spending this much time watching a bunch of men throw a ball around? And yet, I'm always pulled in. Yes, I'm always pulled in. And there's something about watching others put their best out there bouncing back from tough plays uh, to do it over again and again. And it stirs me. So I, I guess my good thing is that we get that chance each day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in fact, I think I'll hit pause on that concept because I bet we're going to come back to it. But first we have a quiz. Uh Oh, <laughs> <All right. laughs> uh -oh. and I know you don't know the questions, but I'm pretty sure you're going to know the answers. So welcome to name that place. I know you've been to many places, and all three will be a different location. So here we go. Founded in 1906, Blank is a family-themed park in Pennsylvania, about 15 miles east of Harrisburg, 95 miles west of Philadelphia, 76 rides and attractions, such as, I see you nodding your head, such as the Wildcat, the famous Super Duper Looper in the 1970s, and the iconic storm runner which is my son's favorite roller coaster there yep yep the, the duel yes yep. and Absolutely. if if you like chocolate well this is the place to go <laughs> where are we milton hershey's hometown hershey <laughs> park in hershey pennsylvania beautiful beautiful place and the best ride there is called the wild mouse Ooh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. The wild mouse, which is right next to the wild cat. Okay. But the, the wild mouse is absolutely my favorite. And, <laughs> you know, I think the wild cat was built first. Yes. The wild cat is an old style wooden roller coaster. The wild mouse is almost a maze that you're mm -hmm. working through, and it's moving at a fairly slow pace, but it does 90 degree turns. You constantly feel like you're falling out of the thing. Yes. And, oh, it's just, it's exciting and it's fun. <laughs> and as one of my friends would scream as we would do this, I'm not a very small person. <laughs> and um, three friends my same size and, and, and my friend Rondi, who's, if you're out there, my, my dear brother, um, and he would go, oh, Jesus, we're too big. We're, we're too big. We're going to tip over. Oh, we're going to tip over. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've been there many, many times. I take kids there every year. It's a yeah. favorite place for us. Gosh, I, I know you lost count probably a long time ago how many East Coast trips you've brought students yes. to yeah. because it's many schools, right? Yeah, many schools and 24 years of. So, yes, it's been at least that many and, and most years two or three times. So what keeps you going? The kids. Yeah. What you're talking about is taking kids to places and doing things they've never done before. And I think that's where our teaching and our coaching and, and, and our mentoring takes us anyway. Well, these are physical places. We're taking kids that have just finished eighth grade and showing them things that they learned about in history class and as an old history mm -hmm. teacher. 
you know, to stand in Independence Hall in Philadelphia and say, this is the room that they wrote the Declaration, and this is the room where they signed the Constitution, various places on the East Coast, and to see the light go on for so many of them. It's it's. It's and, wonderful. and by the way, whether it's history or just even culture, right? Because these are the stairs that Rocky Balboa ran up. Right? <laughs> My son talks about that still. Yep. Um, and by the way, just so you know, his favorite ride was the Sky Rush um, over oh, yeah. in Hershey. And oh, yeah. what he remembers is that he was still in line when he was supposed to be at the bus. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to ride this. Yes, yes. And then I'm going to rush to the bus. Yes. So he yeah. made it. He made he, it. He but. made it, and that sounds that sounds exactly <laughs> like Danny. Also, <laughs> all right. Well, you nailed quiz question one. Quiz question two. I will just start listing off words and phrases, and you buzz in when you're ready. Name that tune. Okay. Yeah. Remember, this is all a location, right? Yes. So when you think you know it, you just tell me. So here's your first clue: ten thousand plus miles, almost three thousand years ago, silk. Tao as the river, watchtowers, dynasties. Um, I'm I'm going to say um, the Great Wall. Guess what? You got it. Why am I asking you that one? Do you think we've just went clear across the planet here? I had an opportunity many years ago, many many now, on my fiftieth birthday, with a, a beautiful friend of mine. In fact, two beautiful friends of mine that um, that we went uh, to Beijing. And on my 50th birthday, I stood on top of the, the Great Wall, and that was a seminal moment mm-hmm. uh, for me um, to be there with my good friend John, to experience, again, the culture, the history, those sorts of things, to realize that that was something that changed how that part of the world mm. e- existed for many, many, many years, because it was the, the separator uh, between the, the Chinese culture at that time and the folk who were coming from from outside there. yeah when i said silk i was talking about the silk road yes the silk and how road, that yeah. that border was like hey before you can pass through uh we need some taxes here yeah. please you know, so, <laughs> you know but the amount of dynasties that went through the amount of changes it went through the fact that it's i, I mean i said it's over ten thousand miles but it's uh Technically, it's 13,171 miles, but that, that includes some of the overlapping reconstruction and whatnot. But I don't care. That's a lot. But in, in, <laughs> yeah. And that they had, they developed a technology that allowed them to do that at that time. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's unreal. In so many, in so many ways. And so beautiful. Oh my golly. So beautiful. It's fun to mark our birthdays, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Any other ways you've done that? Uh, this last April was my 70th, and right. uh, we were in Maui uh, prior to the wildfires. But uh, on my 70th birthday, the morning of, we were up on the top of the volcano watching the sun rise wow. uh, over the big island. And mm-hmm. it was, again, just a, a, a seminal moment for me. I missed my 60th. I was hoping that on my 60th, I'd see the Great Barrier Reef. But I guess I have to do that sometime mm-hmm. coming up <laughs> I'll, hey i'll just say thanks for the reminder that we need to embrace the adventure yeah say yes more often i, there I guess you, there you go all right well quiz question number three and this will bring us to our topic i think for the day this tender land is a historical fiction by william kent kruger it tracks the adventures of 12 year old Odie o'banion 
his older brother Albert, and two of their friends after they flee the brutality of what was in the book called the Lincoln Indian School and travel by canoe down some rivers, including the mighty what? What river? It got down to the uh, Mississippi. Yes, it uh, is. Yes. You got it. Yes. There it is, Mississippi River, in hopes of reuniting with their aunt in St. Louis. So, all right. I want to know a good job on that quiz question. Do I win somebody's voice on my answering machine? Um, you know what I'll do? It. Oh, it, that's very good NPR reference <laughs> yeah, right yeah. there. You know, and when you think about it, I, that's a, actually, it's a great point, Jack. So before we even hit record, of course, Jock started interviewing me because that's just what he does. And he asked about the origins of this podcast and all of that. And I think the quiz questions must actually come from my years of listening to NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me that's right. <laughs> with their quiz questions. So I love that you said that. So if you'd like my name on a, your voicemail, if that's still, a, I, 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 I can, I I can do that. I your voice on my voicemail. There you go. Why do you think the character's name in that book is Odie? course i think of garfield and odie but he is his nickname is odie because of his uh kind of like the character that he may be paralleling uh you've got me on that one i'll tell you what tell us a little bit about that book and what you loved about it and i think we might arrive there this is i see i think i see where you're going (laughs) good yeah um the the story is a journey it's a journey as these young folk grow and, and what they're trying to accomplish, uh, very much like an odyssey. The story that comes through, uh, first of all, I love Kruger as, a, as an author, but the story that comes through in seeing the good all the way around you, even when not so good things might be happening. It's outstanding. And so I loved that one. I know that I've referenced that. It resonates. It resonates, resonates with you for sure. Absolutely. And um, I think you did get the clue there uh, on Odie uh, with the Odyssey. Yeah. Um, Odysseus. Odysseus. That, yeah. See, I knew you'd get there. You got it. <laughs> well, great job. All right. We're going to make this official. Mr. Jock Ambrose, what is your rechoice word? I would choose rebound, Joe. All right. Rebound. We have not had that one yet. And of course, it made me think of basketball for a second. I want to know what it is about that word that made you go, ooh, that's the one. Um, I am an optimist deep down into my soul and my bones. And the only way to remain an optimist is to rebound, is to take, because we constantly run into hurdles. We constantly run into setbacks. We constantly run into defeats. And yet the optimist in me and the optimistic approach is I have to come back. I have to respond to that. And as I was thinking through, uh, rebound is, is what I need to do. If I'm going to take a temporary setback and use it to move forward, I have to rebound Mm -hmm. from the setback. I love the simplicity of that, of being able to kind of, I think of the binary, right? The binary of, well, you rebound or you do what, right? You regress, you you quit. I mean, and so, yeah, sometimes that progress arrow is jagged. But ultimately, if we're rebounding over time, right? It always will be ragged. We will always run into hurdles. We will always run into challenges. And as a teacher over all those years of my career, 
as someone who still teaches, I think, as someone who always was teaching, even though they said I was coaching, I thought I was teaching. Same thing. Sometimes you have to create the challenges. That's true. Yeah, that very the, good point. That, that is the beauty of my sport, which was swimming most of the time. Your activity in, in running marathons and doing triathlons and those sorts of things, we create those challenges right. so that we know that the next time we run into something like that, we are ready to rebound, to stay positive, and to keep working towards that accomplishment. I think the word that's really connected to what you just said is resilience. That that's Absolutely. That's where you find out. That's yeah. when you put yourself in situations where you just got to go a little further than and, what you thought. And resilience is a learned characteristic. Mm -hmm. There was no one who was born more resilient than another. It's a learned characteristic. Granted, there are some people who learn the characteristic earlier than others, but it, it is something that we learn. Where did you learn it? It might go back to third grade when I didn't have a very good academic year. Mm -hmm. It may go back earlier than that, but I haven't given it a lot of thought. But third grade, I would go to where I definitely felt challenged by the things that happened in the classroom. Third grade is the, the year that at least my age, those mm -hmm. of us my age, we learned how to cursive write. Uh, my cursive writing is still terrible and was then. Third grade was a new year, a, a new school for me, mm -hmm. a, a new city to be living in. We moved right at the end of my second grade year. That was a challenge to fit in. So as I look at all of those things, what I remember is a very challenging uh, year, a year that I probably came out of not feeling very good about myself. Mm -hmm. And yet somehow within a few years after that, by the time I went into sixth grade for sure, I felt better about myself. I didn't necessarily always fit in. Mm -hmm. And yet the challenges that I confronted in, in third grade, especially, I think were, were uh, instrumental in me learning mom and dad, continuing and staying on and with me, not just on me. That, mm -hmm. That's more of a negative, but with me mm -hmm. and continuing to say, okay, you can grow through this and you can work your way through this. If I have terrible handwriting, maybe that means I'm not going to be a scribe, but it doesn't mean that I can't learn how to use words, that I can't learn how to accomplish those sorts of things. And even though in third grade I didn't fit in or I didn't feel like I fit in with, with kids and with people, I'm a fairly social person. Mm -hmm. and I've definitely seen that. Yeah. Yep. That's, that, that, that is a resilience to that time when I felt pretty alone mm -hmm. and pretty beat down in a lot of different ways and, and came out of it. I had in my life several mentors and several people who allowed me the opportunity to, okay, this is where you feel right now, or this is, you feel like you're not accomplishing something. Here's how to be able to accomplish that. 
um, and those um, those very important people that I had who helped me see if I stay resilient, if I keep mm-hmm. um, working on those things, staying positive and optimistic, then I can rebound. I'm going to come back to this in a minute, but I, I want to like flash forward for a second. You said fit in and sometimes we don't always fit in. And it makes me think about, um, you know, some of the times where I've bumped around to different districts and whatnot, where it's almost you don't fit in because you're positive. So I, I wonder what the, if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever felt like, well, I, I don't really have a choice here. I'm going to be positive, but it's almost like, um, I don't know what they would say, Pollyanna um, or the cheerleader all the time. You can't be that way all the time. Yes. You know, uh, how be realistic here, Jock, you know, because and I'm, I'm talking to myself right now because I've heard that myself. Yes. The beginning times of my coaching career, starting a, a, a fairly new program, brand new pool. Our school had not had that advantage of having their own pool at that time. And, and yet being in a league where there were some very accomplished teams and to be able to say, this is something that we can do. And the first reaction was, well, you'll never, you'll never be able to beat that team Mm -hmm. that is in a whole new league and a whole new league in a, in a community close to us. I remember thinking in those early years, thank you for setting my my goals for me that, that you <laughs> you don't think you I named can it. ever yeah. Yeah, that I can ever uh, accomplish or get a get a team there. And um and, and when you do that, you say, Okay, I can check that one off the list. Mm-hmm. But again, in in the early years, I am a very enthusiastic uh and and physically enthusiastic person. When I see a swimmer especially a swimmer. I know the work that they've gone through and I see them doing something they've never done before. And that's exciting to me um, because they're accomplishing that goal they had for themselves. I have been known to uh, uh, grab on to uh, some of those swimmers as <laughs> mm-hmm. they, and pull them up out of I the think water. I've, I've seen, I've, I may have witnessed that before. It, uh, yeah. it, it, it has happened once or twice. And, <laughs> and in those early years, there were an awful lot of people who said, boy, this is over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yet I am what I am and was able to, to demonstrate this is for me, the right way of going about right. this, even though, like you said, um, there were an awful lot of people who just settle down, <laughs> slow down a little bit here. You know, swimming coaches don't jump around on the deck, you know, yeah, you might uh, slip. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, and, but yeah, Jack, that makes you memorable too. And, and from first impressions onward, you know, when I first met you, Jack, I don't even know if you remember, but I think I first met you at a restaurant really quick. I think it was the blue water grill. You were taking some classes at Northview, I believe, Again, long time ago, didn't even know you yet. I went to join my wife for lunch. You happened to be there as well. I'm like, this guy smiles a lot. And of course, I'm like, Jock, I haven't heard of a name Jock before. You know, so that, that's why I remember it. But then when I joined Kentwood, I don't remember what I was needed you for. I, I can't remember, but I was, I went to the pool and I needed to ask you something. I don't know if it was that I needed to talk to the diving coach because that's what I coach, but within two minutes, you got me helping a swimmer. <laughs> you're like, Hey, while you're here, yeah, yeah, can yeah. you help this kid here? 
know how to jump headfirst into the water. So when we're racing, he's jumping headfirst, not like climbing down and starting, you know, like, like within two minutes. And so I'm just like, yeah, sure, coach. I, I can do that. And again, I don't know why I was there, but 20 minutes later, we, we, we got that kid to do that. So that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, again, you, you use that example. I walked on to the deck at a major university with a, with a friend of mine who was the head coach, thinking that I was going to watch that practice with all these college swimmers, yeah. and those sorts of things. And he did the same thing to exactly, me. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm running a college workout um, <laughs> and, and kind of saying, what am I supposed to do here? I'm just this. Figure it out. That's yeah, what you're yeah, supposed yeah, yeah. to learn, <laughs> learn. Learn by doing it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So. That's thanks, that's a thanks. part of enthusiasm yeah. too, isn't it? Yes, yes. Thanks, yeah. Bill Wadley, for setting the example that I could push back to. Yes, you know, and you're not the only person I've ever done that. I think you. Yeah, I, 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 I can bet that too. And hey, could you really quick? I've never asked, but what was your journey from, you know, high school to, to Kentwood? I guess you know where did you go? What did you do? I, I just the short version. I guess what. I never knew. Okay. Probably the biggest thing is that right out of high school, community college that I went to in Lansing did not have a swim team. So I didn't even think about that. And so I started coaching right out of high school. Okay. I had the opportunity to work with a very established program in the Lansing area. Uh, the gentleman that was the head coach of that program that I was his new assistant. Uh, he had been my uh, distance swimming coach. Uh, the the JV coach of of our high school team, and I learned so much from him. Two years of coaching with him, with kids that were already swimming at YMCA national level. So one of the parts of that experience is I I had no idea what I was doing except encouraging people that first year, and yet because of the way that it worked. We had one boy swimmer who qualified for the YMC Nationals that happened at a different time than the girls YMC Nationals happened that year, and the head coach could not get two weeks off from school. So I ended up as a 19-year-old on the deck at a national meet with a swimmer, totally blown away, Hmm. um, but able to see that this is something that you, you you can get to. We went out to uh, the University of Oregon. I was there one year by myself, and then my my then new wife joined me out there. And we had every intent of staying in the Pacific Northwest. I had no idea you were way out there at yes. one point. Okay. I'm a duck. I am yeah. a duck. Yes, I'm a quackerbacker. <laughs> and uh, um, went went out there with every intent of staying. But in 1976, the only state. Uh, in the country that was worse economically than Michigan because they weren't selling cars was <laughs> Oregon because they weren't yeah. building homes. And so we moved back home. Then Kentwood opened pool mm-hmm. and needed a new person. And I was in the right place yep. to have an yep. interview. Must have said the right things. So that that got me in the door. We had a brand new pool. We had a community that was ready to uh, make the, the, the dedication that we needed to. I inherited from Chuck Karsten a team of very enthusiastic young men who wanted to 
work hard and get better. And we got better very quickly. We had girls that swam with us during the off season. And all of a sudden, we had some kids that were swimming pretty darn well. That's what got me there. We were in the right place. Yeah. I still swim a couple times a week. And to you know go in there at 5 in the morning and, and look in the office and I see your picture. But I've also noticed, too, that even though you're retired, your legacy is still there, man. Uh, the Spirit Award. There, there, there is one. Uh, and what's from, that about? From my years as the athletic director, uh, I spent four and a half years there and was uh, lucky enough to take, again, what I did in the pool for all those years. I had been in the pool doing that for 21 years, four and a half years of uh, athletic director work. And when I stepped back into the classroom and back to coaching, the athletic boosters uh, hmm. found it uh, within their hearts to, to put that award together. And uh, it goes to amazing kids every yeah, year, yeah, you know, yeah. that earn the award without realizing it by supporting their classmates. Yeah. Almost always it's somebody, it's not always an athlete. But it's somebody who is always at everything mm -hmm. and supporting the people around them. And I love how you even said they don't even always even know that they're doing it. It's That's just right. kind of who they are. They they're the capital capital letters support. Yeah, you can depend on them to be a cheerleader for the group. That's right. Absolutely. The over enthusiastic chicken. The jo Joe. Ah, Joe gets I, I know what you're talking about. There's a book called the. Hey, check the show notes. That's a great kid's story called uh, is it a kid's story it could you, be an adult story could yeah. be, it really could be you woohoo you're doing great <laughs> by sandra boynton and uh yeah it's a great great kids book that applies to everyone it really does and and i i taught leadership classes and i remember i would tell them within the first week you're all leaders right now and they're like, well, why do we have this class then? Why? What am I doing? I said, hey, what you do and what you don't do is constantly leading others, speaking to others. And I, I guess that's the, the point of that book I, is that we all have that ability to cheer somebody on if, if we're willing to do it. If we're willing to do it and to know that sometimes the that that positive support is what we need to keep to keep ourselves going is what we need to keep ourselves trying to move forward, to rebound, to be resilient, to learn. In the long run, then we can accomplish great things. So rebound. I'm going to go back to that word right now. And I also want to go back to the word teaching, coaching, and mentoring. I want to know what, in your mind, makes a good teacher, makes a good coach, makes a good mentor. There are technical things that we must develop within our sphere of influence, teaching and coaching swimming, or working in a biology classroom, or teaching health. Those are all things that I have done at different times. We have to have the, the, the technical know-how and the ability to see when somebody is doing something right, when somebody is making a bit of a mistake and can improve what it is that they're they're working at. So um, back when you and I took WSI class way back when, 
the Red Cross would call that the critical eye, mm-hmm. being able to see that thing that somebody needs to work on to improve. Okay, there is that. Um, there is the ability to communicate both your expectations for the person you're working with, <clears throat> but for to give them the opportunity to communicate with you right. their goals and desires and expectations also. The real success comes when you can meld. This is for Joe, young Joe. I think you can do this as a longtime swim coach or diving coach or whatever. I think you can do this new dive. And here's the reasons why. And we need to communicate that. If I realize that you really want to do that new dive, it makes it so much easier for us to get there. If I realize that you look at it and going, I, I, I can't do that dive. I mean, maybe you haven't done it yet, but if your, um, understanding or motivation is is not there i have to understand you and communicate enough with you so that we can move forward in it. and maybe it's okay maybe we don't do that dive this year but we do some things this year that help you get to the point where next year all of a sudden you come back and we can work on that um so there is that that level of understanding and communicating with your uh with your students with your mm-hmm. athletes whatever the other part is the ability to show that you really truly believe in what this person is going to be able to do um and that doesn't mean you you cover them with horse hockey um, <laughs> right you know yes. it it, yeah. it means that you can say this is what you can do, and this is why uh, it's not pie in the sky. And, right. and, and it probably will take a whole lot of work. That, again, is one of those beautiful things, especially about my sport, our sport, that you have to work hard in order to accomplish your best. And so to be that psychologist, I think back to a, a statement that Doc Councilman, you know Doc Councilman's name, um, Indiana University, wow. seven times national champion, Olympic coach, um, those sorts of things. And he was a scientist. He was a, a physics teacher and a physiologist. And yet his very, I think, prescient statement that if you take the same team and one coach is a psychologist and another coach is a physiologist, Nine times out of ten, the psychologist will get that team farther. Yeah, um, yeah. Say more about that. Yeah. Uh, well, I I think that it means again, as a psychologist, I need to be able to understand my kids. I need to be able to know what it is that is motivating to them, that is motivating them to work with the other person. Many times, when I take a relay to the state meet, I get to put four young people on that relay. I also realize that we will swim hardest through the course of the year if I have more than four kids who are competing for those four spots. Mm-hmm. So the test to be able to get five or six or seven or eight swimmers working hard enough to earn that spot on the relay, also knowing that if I've got eight kids for four spots, that means four of them are not 
going to get there. And yet I still have to make the experience good for them, all of them, all the way around. An example, in making it so that the young person sees the positive things to keep working. We had one year where a young lady um, was on one of my teams and swam the anchor leg of a medley relay pretty much all year. That young lady happened to be my daughter. And she had that spot. And yet when we went from the conference meet to the state meet, because of other people on the team qualifying or not, there were there was at least one other person who was faster than she was at that point in time and available to swim that relay because the fastest person swims. Yeah. Yeah. And it was my daughter who didn't get that spot and that was not comfortable. And there was nobody else in the world who wanted her more than I did (laughs) for her to get that spot. The beauty of the story is that when she and I were talking about this only a few years ago, so she's 25 years out of high school. And she said, gee, dad, I don't remember that. <laughs> so as as hard as that was in a period of time to say to my own daughter, nope, this other person earned that spot because they are faster and that's what we go with. And an awful lot of people kind of looked at it expecting, oh, well, you know, his daughter's going to be on the relay. And, and it didn't turn out that way. But the beauty is she didn't remember the experience mm-hmm. from that in the long run. She got enough out of the experience of being on the team, of being where she needed to be. And she was a tremendous leader, and, and I think she still is. But I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the fact is that's one meet, and she got to be anchor in many meets, and that helped push everybody. Yes. And yes. and to your point, led the team, helped help to lead. There's a lot of ways you can lead yep. than just the time. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Thank you. You know, we're talking about optimism. We're talking about being positive, but I'm, I'm hearing that being positive. It's not just saying fluffy stuff. It's, uh, I can be real with you mm-hmm. and I've earned that. And here's what you need to do. And so it's that person that can, um, be real. I'll just put it that way. There was an old concept. And the way we talked about it was the psychological sandwich. If I am trying to teach something to someone, I do have to motivate them, but I have to give them something to work on, something that they need to try to do better, whether it's just working hard or learning a new skill or changing the skill that they have, whatever it might be. And there is a, uh, a, a method of doing this so that you can present um, the information in order to be critical and and allow that person to get better. Um, that psychological sandwich, a sandwich has bread on both sides and then the, the nutrients and the protein and those sorts of things in the middle. The, the bread on both sides are positive statements that can get that person in the right mindset to absorb the, the nutrients in the middle. It makes the sandwich easier to go down and all those sorts of things. And so by saying... Joe, that was a great effort that you had in that race. You really took the race out well, and I love that. Okay, so there's a positive. Next time, we need to work on pacing the race enough 
so that you are still strong at the end of the race and can do these sorts of things. That's the critical piece. And then finish it with a, hey, nice effort. Keep that effort up. Keep mm-hmm. on going. It's it's not just being critical. It's giving the positives that go along with it. They're related, I noticed, too. Like the the positive is not just, I'm going to come up with something out of the top of my head right now. No, yeah. it's related to where you're going. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and knowing, you know, how that, how that gets across to that person, but you have to have the critical, you can't just be the cheerleader. Yay. 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 Way to go. Super duper without giving the critical pieces. You also can't just be critical. Now, one of the other great coaches of all time, I think personally, I think uh, the, the greatest example of, of a coach is John Wooden. And John oh, yeah. Wooden was yeah. UCLA basketball back in the 60s and 70s. He's quoted today. You he know? is quoted today. <laughs> absolutely. Um, in his years at UCLA, there was a educational psychologist that did a, a study, and they were looking at the methods of communication. And here is the best basketball coach in the country at that time. Um, and they, they analyzed his statements, the things that he said to his team. And it was like 80% of the comments he made to his team were instructive comments. This is what you can do to get better. You have to have those things, whether I'm teaching a, a, a class and how to learn to read and write uh, or doing a physical skill, swimming and running and or, or shooting a basketball or whatever it might be, um, learning to play the piano or learning how to code a, a, a computer program. You have to have those critical pieces that are there. And that example of Coach Wooden and as motivating as he could be, as demanding mm-hmm. and holding people to accountable mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> at, at, accountable at, talk uh, yeah yes yeah um he still at an 80 percent rate gave information to all of his basketball players cute story i think it's a cute story and most of his brand new college basketball players said the first time that they would do this they thought he was absolutely nuts but the story is that the very first practice, and he was recruiting the very best high school ball players to come out to UCLA to play for him. The very first basketball practice was to sit down with your shoes and socks and to learn how to put your socks and your shoes on and lace them up correctly. And they would say, oh, come on, I've been putting my shoes on forever. And he says, yes, but as hard as we're going to run, if you don't put it on correctly, and then you develop a blister, and then the blister takes you out of practice, and you can see where it goes from there. The, the It started at that basic level, even with players who were already the best bas- high school basketball <laughs> right. players in the country coming out. Um, a great story. And and every indication from hearing from you know the Lou Alcinders of the world and all the other Lou Alcindor, who is now Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but uh, when he was in uh, college at that time, for all those players to see, yep, this is this is what we went through on the first day of practice. You learned how to tie your shoes correctly. <laughs> wow. Because if you don't have that right, I mean, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yep. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 
All right. Well, when you think of the word rebound, then is there anything else you want our listeners to know or anything you want to leave us with? I come back to, to a place that we started any endeavor that we have, especially those endeavors where we want to improve. There are going to be hurdles. There are going to be challenges. Uh, there are going to be times when, when we get defeated. Um, there are going to be swimmers who are going to be faster than I might be in a particular race. There might be, there are going to be coaches who put together a better lineup or, or, you know, get particular kids to swim faster or whatever. We are always going to run into those things. Um, and, and yet we have to take those, all those opportunities and come back, be resilient, be persistent and keep moving ourselves forward. And in order to move forward, I've got to rebound from the challenge or the hurdle that I had before. And any champion will tell you that there were plenty of Mm -hmm. uh, hurdles and and challenges and mistakes. Can't rebound without some resistance, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. And so hopefully the Lions will take that advice. I'm I'm certainly hoping, and uh, you know, those of us who are lifelong you know, Detroit fans, we we have to rebound a lot. Do you see an optimist in in Dan Campbell? Oh my golly! Oh my golly! I, I mean, I I think there's a reason why so many people are rallying around him. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's he's one of those. Yes. Yeah. Well, and and you know, there was a time last year, you know, one of the games early in the season that that they ended up losing, and he felt directly responsible and could not stop his emotions from expressing themselves in, in, in a way that many times, you know, why is, why is a, a grown man standing here and crying um, in the press conference? Because he felt directly responsible for the things that led to that loss. Mm-hmm. And, and he was saying to his team, you do the best that you can, and I'll do the best that I can, and I will do better next time to be my best. For you, and uh, I, I love, I love that approach, um, and I, I think he's going to be successful, and maybe, maybe there's even, you know, a Super Bowl in the, yeah, in in the future for the before I leave this veil. They're, they're certainly l- learning to tie their shoes right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, they are. Well, um, in conclusion, Jack, I just, um, you are a cheerleader for those around you, and. You've always been that way to me, whether you even tried to or not. Uh, I just want to thank you for that. Um, do you remember Dana Lamb? I absolutely do. So, Hi, Dana. Who is she to you? Dana was, was the instructor of my uh, Capturing Kids Hearts program. And the biggest thing that I remember is the, the genuine humanity that she brought to this mm-hmm standing up in front of a whole staff of teachers a thousand plus miles away from her home and being a genuine presenter and teacher and to me a mentor to take these skills to be able to show how we can include these to make our classrooms better. Lovely, lovely, lovely person. Well, you've asked about her a couple times in our years and what's funny is she does the same to you. So, uh, you know, she's had, she's encountered thousands of educators in the last 20 years and trainings and 
she frequently says, hey, how's Jack doing? Dana was my original trainer as well. I I don't know if you realize that we had that in common, but just this past weekend, she asked again. And um, so I wanted you to know that. Thank you. Um, And then finally, somebody who's not over a thousand miles away, there's another Joe nearby, a Joey, actually, uh, next door. (laughs) (laughs) And he would like you to hear some words. This is uh, Joey Sutherland. I'm the aquatics director for East Kentwood and a long time, for lack of a better term, Jack Ambrose disciple. And I first met Coach Ambrose in high school. And while I have hundreds of stories that just show how lucky and fortunate I am to have had interaction with him throughout so much part of my life, I want to Take one particular, and I've thrown this at him once or twice in the the tenure that we've worked together, and I don't honestly believe he remembers it, which makes it more special that he plays along that he does. But when I was just a uh, kind of a young 14-year-old, a sophomore in high school, and the first time I ever swam a big swim meet was at Grand Rapids Junior College at the pool for what was called Raider Relays. And I was in a race that was a long one, and our team at Creston wasn't very strong, at least the relay I was on, and I got put as the anchor. So the race is going on, and our team is probably a half a lap behind everybody else, and by the time it gets to me, it's a full lap. So when I get in the water and I have four laps to go, I'm playing catch-up to everybody, everybody's done before me and I hear the crowd going crazy and everything. And I'm still got a full down and back to go. And the crowd gets pretty quiet and I'm like, I'm giving everything I got. And I know it's not that great. And I hit the last flip turn and all of a sudden I hear the crowd kind of getting crazy again. And I'm like, what's going on here? Am I about to break some record or something? I, which I knew wasn't the case. And I finish and I hit the wall. And everybody else was done, but the guys next to me give me high fives, and that's great. And I get out, and I literally take two steps. And it isn't one of my teammates. It isn't my coach. It is a man I have never met before in my life until that day. And it was Jock Ambrose. And he gave me a bear hug, the first of a million. And he said to me, great job, young man. And I can't describe the path that that put me on. I'm sure about that time in my life, I had grown up and knew what was right and wrong, up and down. But at that point, Jack Ambrose taught me more about sports and about being a true, good citizen and a good person. And and I got to tell you, I could tell you 10,000 more stories, Joe, that are just as touching. But for me, it's hard to even say the story to you now and still not get misty. 40 years almost later. And I still remember that. And I, I will tell you without batting an eyelash that I've said it to him every time I see him, I get a bear hug now. We may not agree on everything because we're in an industry where we always have to have different opinions to try to find out what's best for the kids. Both of us always care about the kids more than everything. But I have to say, even when I disagree with him, I respect him so much because he taught me 
why it's so important to fight for those kids. And Jack, when you get to hear this, Coach, you know there is nothing but love and respect that I have for you. And like so many thousands of people you made a difference to, I was one of them. And I thank God every day, and I feel totally blessed. Coach Ambrose, I love you with all my heart. So what was it like to hear that? We are here to help other people be the best that they can be. And if we continue to pursue living our lives so that other people's lives are better for them, then we're successful. To honor at that point in time the best effort that that young man, Joey Sutherland, uh, to honor him doing the best that he could do as a 14-year-old is our way of saying you are making your life better for yourself and everybody around you. We all deserve that. Right. And we deserve that whether we happened to be the first person to touch the wall or the last person to touch the wall. If we've done the best that we can do, then we deserve that, that honoring. Mm -hmm. I am just so very glad. And yes, Joey and I have spent a lot of time together over the years because of the circumstances that, that the working circumstances we've been able to be in. But uh, the fact that, that that had that impact. And here it's over 40 years later, you know, something like that. And uh, by the way, I, I mean, I literally walked over a few steps and said, hey, I'm going to have Jock over. Uh, what, tell me something. I'm, so that was just he didn't have to think hard on that. He remembers that. And so thanks for helping him rebound that day. Uh, thanks for we all have that ability to help others rebound. Amen. I believe if we have a responsibility to others that there there is the responsibility. I am going to do what I can do so that you have a better life. And I believe that through that I will have a better life. That's true. Yeah. But my responsibility is to the other person first. Jack, thanks for coming over. Thank you, Joe. This has been great. This has been fun. <laughs> this has been great. And, and as you finish a final season of this, yes. yep. um, it is, uh, it's so cool to, for us to be able to have this conversation. I just appreciate you having uh, inviting me over and, and having us do this. So, yeah, listeners, you might not know that, but there's just a couple episodes left in this season. And four or five years ago, I created a list of people I'd love to interview, and Jack was on that list way back then. So I'm really I'm glad I wasn't too late. Yeah, and, thank uh, you. Hey, anything, so am I. Anything <laughs> you're looking forward to for 2024? To rebound and keep moving forward. Yeah, tomorrow, I, right? Tomorrow, tomorrow. <laughs> that's right. I, every morning I wake up and my heart's beating, uh, and I have a chance to see my grandkids. Yeah. It's a great day. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that it, it just, so let's, let's keep celebrate and keep moving. That's yep. right. There All right. Go. Thank you, brother. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. And you know what I will say when, say when, I say when.
and I have a word. We're getting close to our final episode of the Rechoice podcast to be launched at the end of the year. I'd like that last episode to be forward thinking. What is your one word for 2024? To participate, you have until Christmas to contact me by phone or through rechoicepod at gmail.com. Leave an audio recording or I can read it for you. Include your name, your word for 2024, and a short description on why you chose that word. And just a note, your word does not have to be a rechoice word. In fact, it's probably better if it's not. Google one word challenge and you'll find plenty of examples. For example, my name is Joe Pellerito, and my word for 2024 is Carpe Diem. Because dang it, we only have this one life to live. I want to make the most of my days. Wishing you all a reflective and restorative holiday season.